Hey everyone, welcome to the fifth episode of Transparent VC, brought to you by Funders Club, where we aim to shed light on the black box of venture capital. As a reminder, Funders Club is an early stage venture capital firm that has invested in 230 companies across the globe over the past four and a half years. As a result of speaking to thousands of founders, we've seen situations good and bad. And while most of the times situations go well, we've occasionally seen misalignment between investors and founders where round dynamics and terms don't go as planned. Our goal with this podcast is to help even the playing field for founders. I'm Kevin Lee, and I'm here with Gerald en- Jared Engelberg. Hey, everyone. Uh, really excited for our top topic today. Uh, we got a lot of questions from you all out there. We talk, we've been talking in pretty big detail about some pretty intense financing terms. But the questions that we got were more about, hey, how do I just run a finance financing process or a fundraising process in general? What are the basic tips and tricks? And, and we view this as a misalignment in the market because for especially for you first-time founders out there, there's a lot of stuff that may be counterintuitive or you may not know about how fundraising processes work with early investors or VCs. So our goal today is to take you through some of our best practices and some of our learnings that we've built, again, over the last four and a half years, talking to thousands of founders, participating in hundreds of financings. Um, this is our, our, like our, how do you say, fundraising 101 conversation. We've also given this specific presentation to hundreds of founders, different accelerators, et cetera. <clears throat> and so we're really excited to walk you through this. There will also be a slide deck that we will share on our blog and SoundCloud link. If you're listening to this podcast on uh, Apple's iTunes uh, podcast app or, or something similar like that that does not have a description, you can find this slide share deck on our blog at fundersclub.com. So I'm going to let Kevin take it away and start talking you through again. This is our how to go and run a financing process. Awesome. Thank you, Jared. Uh, so as Jared mentioned, uh, you know, th- what we're going to be talking today um, is really some of the best practices we've seen um, in some of the best founders who've successfully run um, and, and closed their financing rounds. And uh, we have a basic structure that we're going to be running through, and we're also going to be kind of just cutting in with a few anecdotes of situations that we've seen over the past few years. And we think that will help take some of this theory and help put it into uh, more practical examples for you to follow along with. Um, and again, feel free to follow along with the presentation um, online if you do want to kind of go back and reference this at any point. So the first thing uh, we always uh, talk to founders about uh, whenever they have questions about kicking off a fundraising round is we ask them, do you actually want to raise venture capital? And it sounds like such a basic question, uh, but it's extremely important because uh, this is one of those processes where you need to determine if you want to go all in, right, or if you just want to stay out of the process altogether. And it's extremely tempting as a first-time founder uh, to think that you must raise, primarily because, you know, there's it's, it's easy to fall into the trap of herd mentality, where, you know, you see around you other founders, uh, other startups are raising VC money. You see articles in the press that are glamorizing uh, raising VC rounds as a key milestone in the business. And you really have to ask yourself, you know, am I in a position or do I understand what I'm going to be using the VC funds for? Are they actually going to significantly impact my business versus giving up, you know, diluting yourself um, just for the sake of, you know, following the herd. And once you've come to the conclusion and you've kind of thought through exactly why you're raising VC money, 
what you plan to, you know, we, uh, in VC or when you're giving your pitch, you probably would call this the use of funds, the use of proceeds. Um, we say that, uh, you know, you must be in charge of your process, not the VC. And the way you do that uh, is, is what we're going to be talking about in the next few minutes. And so first, uh, you must keep a tight fundraising timeline. Uh, Jared, I think you have some great uh, anecdotal experience here around how this has kind of, <laughs> how founders have mis- mistook this particular step. Yeah, sure. So uh, I think this is perhaps one of the most counterintuitive points that we'll make today. And it's one that took me a good amount of time to understand myself. And that is, for many of you founders out there, especially those of you who pride themselves on salesmanship, um, you'll think of an investor relationship as a sale, right? I'm going to convince this person to invest in me. And there's definitely an aspect of that. But where this is not like a sale um, is that for a sales process, for example, if you were going to sell someone a software product, you'd want to get in early, start building the relationship, get comfort, um, and then ultimately move towards uh, an end of a sale and that sales flow. For investors, when you think about the balances in the relationship between you and the investors, the investors actually have more incentive to meet you early and start gaining information about your business than you have to meet with those investors. First of all, your time is really valuable as a founder, and you should always remember that. Second, investing is their full-time job, and oftentimes is, is something that you have to do to continue to run your business or reach your business goals, but not your full-time job. And so we actually recommend that you politely push off initial meetings, coffees, and phone calls unless you're until you're 100% ready to kick off your fundraising process. Doing so has two benefits. One, again, it reduces the overall amount of calendar time you'll need to dedicate to the process. And two, and this is where it gets counterintuitive, we actually believe that it increases the likelihood that you're able to close investors. Uh, There's a risk of reaching the state that we call perma-fundraising, and we'll talk about this more later. But the best way to make sure that you can run a tight process is by holding off on starting those meetings until you're ready to, uh, until you're really ready to begin with your investors. Yeah, definitely. And I think <clears throat> along the lines of, of really waiting until you're ready to kick off fundraising before kicking off these meetings, um, the reason, one of the reasons for that is because your goal as a founder with uh, this fundraising process is to build momentum, right? And part of building momentum requires getting that first check and then kind of herding your investors together um, so that they can essentially compete against each other. And uh, momentum, what it actually does, so in the context of a fundraising round, when you have investors competing against each other to get into uh, this, this investment round, you're, you are then able to essentially show something that we call inevitability without arrogance. And what that means is at every investor meeting, you can matter of fact, you know, say, hey, look, you know, I really appreciate the time. Just want to give you an update that XYZ investors have already committed or are, you know, have already offered a term sheet. Um, you know, I'm looking to close this process out by the end of whatever timeline you've set would love to hear back as soon as possible. And what that shows is it doesn't show that you're an arrogant founder that's trying to push off the investor. It actually just, it's a, it's literally a fact because you've decided to keep a tight fundraising timeline. You've built that momentum and it gives you the leverage in the negotiations. Now, again, so you, you, you are now a founder that's come to the decision that you want to raise venture capital. You've kicked off, you know, let's say you kicked off your fundraising process. Um, what is the next step? And the next step really is staying organized with an investor CRM. So again, as a founder, you're, you're already used to doing a CRM probably for your sales process, maybe even for your hiring process. You want to take that same level of organization and detail 
um, to raising to talking to investors. And so you can use uh, typical CRM tools. You can use even simple tools like Trello or Google Spreadsheet uh, to then segment your initial investor list into tier one, tier two, and tier three options. And you really want to spend time building this dream list, especially your tier one investors, because as you've probably heard many times, uh, raising VC money is even more serious than getting married because uh, you can divorce your spouse, but you can't divorce your cap table. So you really want to take that time and think through very carefully who you want on your cap table. And once you've built out that list, uh, a general rule of thumb that we like to say is your N, right? The number of investors that you have on that list should be ideally equal to or greater than 30 uh, names or 30 investors. Um, And one of the reasons for that is because fundraising ultimately is a numbers game. And we found that getting kind of to that sweet spot of around 30 or more investors on your list um, really builds enough of a critical mass and gives you enough of a sample size where you're going to be able to close out um, a successful round. Yeah. And yeah, just to add some additional color there, you know, I think part of the reason that the CRM is so important or what it helps with is we often see founders fall in love with the idea of a specific investor or a specific small set of investors before they start their fundraising process. And the issue with that is it really is a numbers game. If you limit your top of funnel, you don't engage enough investors, the likelihood that any given one investor will close goes way down because you just really never know precisely what an investor like. Even if you have talked to this person before or this firm before and they seem really interested, you have to remember for any one of these individuals, the likelihood that they take a given investment is probably well below 10% and probably well below 5%, right? So even if you think they like you, the chance that they invest in you is still going to be small. So you have to increase the number of investors top of funnel beyond perhaps the immediate set of people or, or firms that you know and start expanding that list to at least 30. Definitely. Um, and, you know, so, so again, as you, as you build out this fundraising uh, investor list um, and you're starting to do these meetings, uh, you know, we, we want to now transition into talking about what you should be preparing in advance of these meetings. So we do have a set checklist. And again, if you go on to the, uh, the, the docs and presentation later, um, all this is available. I, we don't want to spend too much time here because a lot of this um, can get very granular and could be a separate podcast in itself. But we would like to outline several of the high-level items you should have prepared in advance. Uh, so one is uh, preparing your historical business metrics and essentially any KPIs that are relevant for your business. Uh, now, at the early stage, um, there, there is the chance that Occasionally, VCs will probably focus a little bit more on more qualitative factors, for example, the team. Um, but we have found that uh, you know having this historical business metrics gives a VC a nice indication of the trajectory of the business, um, how the traction has been since you've launched the business, and anything you can prepare to give them uh, some sort of track record to help them build a line and connect the dots will help speed along the process and help them with their diligence. Yeah, and maybe you're pre-launch, maybe you don't have these business metrics, and, and pre-launch companies do get funded uh, if the situation's right, but there are other things that you can look to, even pre-launch, that helps investors understand. Perhaps it's the number of signups that you've had for your beta. Um, perhaps it's certain performance metrics you have on some sort of hardware device that you're building that you just haven't haven't finished yet. So you know, I think investors really do respond well to numbers and, and KPIs in the business. Definitely. Uh, secondly, uh, we, we like to, you know, we generally say that you should prepare your current cap table for an investor. Uh, one reason for this is because investors are always going to be digging into this for their investment. They want to understand who has ownership in the business. You know, have you raised previous financing rounds? Perhaps 
as we've talked about in a previous podcast, maybe you have a bunch of notes or safes that need to convert and your current investor needs to understand what their dilution is going to look like. So preparing that in advance is very important. Yeah, and if you don't know a cap table or a capitalization table, is just a, typically an Excel file or some sort of spreadsheet that just shows who has ownership in the business and, and what types of shares. So if it's just you and your co-founder that started the business and you're 50-50 owners, then the cap table would just show two lines, just the two of you, 50% each. But as you start to add on more investors and other types of uh, financing this cap or new employees, et cetera, this cap table will, will begin to expand. And, and the, the last and third piece is uh, it, it's the investment deck. And I think, you know, we've heard multiple opinions on uh, whether founders should be investing a lot of time into preparing a very nice investment deck. And I think there's, there's multi- multiple reasons why you may want to have this prepared. One of the most popular reasons is because occasionally uh, when you meet with an investor, Sometimes they may need to go back and confer with the rest of the venture team, or they may to, they may just want to actually sleep on it or spend some time thinking about the business. And having the investment deck prepared to send over post your meeting or even to run through with the, during the meeting gives them the material that they can then use to make sure that they haven't missed anything crucial in your business. Right. So a lot of times, if they're taking notes, maybe they miss something. You know, they completely missed the mark and they they didn't uh, understand fully understand your business model or your competitive differentiation. And having that investment deck uh, gets them um, aligned with everything that you've kind of pitched during the actual phone call or first meeting in person. And within the investment deck, there's a couple sections that we generally recommend you should have. Now, of course, this is subjective, but here again, along the lines of best practices, um, what we've seen is a series of slides entailing uh, the problem, your solution, why now the market size, your product. And so the product really can be describing some of the features, maybe a few screenshots, your team, your business model, your competition slash defensibility, any historical financials or potentially projections. Now, I like to caveat that most early stage investors probably won't put too much of a weighting on your projections. Um, Perhaps some angels may care about that, but I'd say that um, a lot of C-stage investors or early stage investors tend to tend to want to look at just the historical uh, traction as a benchmark. Uh, next would be the current fundraising round. So what terms are you looking for? How much are you looking to raise? Um, and then lastly would be your use of proceeds. So an investor wants to understand what you're planning to do with uh, the money once you've successfully closed the round. Yeah, and there's a lot to unpack within that in-first investment deck and what it is. So perhaps we'll do a follow-up podcast on, on the topic of this the preparation, but if you guys have specific questions, please reach out to us. So you've prepared your materials, you've lined up the investors who you want to take these first meetings with. What should you actually be talking about during these meetings? So in these first meetings, or in general, just within any any meeting with an investor, here are a few questions we've found uh, the, that the best founders have always asked. So one is, do you typically, uh, you may want to ask your investor, do you typically have an ownership target? You want to make sure that you're aligned uh, with the VC and, and ensure, you know, maybe they want a certain ownership target that gives them a board seat. Maybe some investors don't take board seats. Um, these are all details that you do want to understand from that first meeting. Secondly, what's the average check size that the, that the uh, investor typically writes? Uh, third, what does their process look like? Fourth, what are next steps, right? You want to always make sure that you have some sort of action point, some call to action, essentially, um, so you know what to do next. And lastly, uh, this is a common question that that we actually love to hear from our founders. It's It can be quite uncomfortable, actually, um, and, and it puts the investor on the spot. But you essentially want to ask, do you have any immediate concerns or challenges that you know I can help address as a founder? 
And, and the reason we say it's a little bit uncomfortable is because obviously you're, you're, you know, you're directly asking an investor to basically tell you why they might potentially pass on your business. But this is all very critical feedback for you as a founder. And what we like to say, especially here at Funders Club, is you want to generate feedback loops. Right? And you treat it like it's you're pitching your own product and you're selling your own product. You want to get feedback loops from your customers to understand what you can iterate upon, what you can improve so that you can eventually close the deal. And it's the exact same thing with an investor. You want if, if they tell you in that first meeting, hey, look, I really like you know, your team, but I'm a little bit concerned about your market size. That gives you a data point, which then you can then take home, maybe do some additional analyses um, and then send back to the investor to alleviate any of those concerns. Or if they say no, at least you have a data point so that in your next pitch, you know that you can address uh, TAM, your total addressable market concerns right from the get-go. Um, and then lastly, just some, tip, some general tips for meetings. Uh, one is going back to this idea of inevitability without, uh, without arrogance. Try to generate that inevitability. And this, again, ties back to keeping a tight fundraising timeline and kind of herding your investors together um, in a close time frame. Uh, you always want to end the meeting letting your investor know what your timeline is. So if you want to close this round within by the end of the month, if you already have investors who've committed, if your round is oversubscribed and, you know, you're really just looking for, you're really taking kind of your pick and choice of the best investors you want to work with, make sure you let your investor know. Uh, generate that FOMO, as we call it. And, and lastly, uh, make, sure you can e- make sure you email a follow-up note uh, about the meeting with any next steps uh, that you've discussed with your investor, as well as any potential documented verbal commitments, right? So you kind of want to hold your investor accountable if they say during the meeting that, they're, that they're, they've agreed to commit to an investment. Um, you want to make sure you can try to get that in writing. Um, just a, a quick note around what I've mentioned earlier about feedback loops. So VCs were, are always going to want optionality, right? And so the great ones are quick to decide. They're very responsive. They're going to give you feedback. But a lot of times VCs never want to outright tell you no to your face. And if you really think about it from their side of the table, um, you know, there are times where Perhaps they were a little bit early. Maybe the business was right in an inflection point and they said no. And then turns out your business became super, super successful in the next few months. Well, they've just closed the door on a potentially great investment in you as a founder. And so um, to, to prevent that from happening, sometimes VCs will keep you in what we call the mid funnel, which is this perma state of constant diligence or kind of telling you a maybe or, hey, like we like you, but we'd like to hold off a little bit more. And so um, as a founder, you really want to get to a formal yes or no as fast as possible. Um, you want to avoid being stuck in this VC mid-funnel. Totally agree, Kevin. And I think this segues well to the next slide, which is, you know, how long should this take? Or, you know, we talked about being ready to start a process. And now let's talk about being ready to end a process. Ideally, the end of your process comes when you raise the money that you initially desired. But it doesn't always work like that. And we want to talk about kind of, okay, well, what's the other path, right? And in our opinion, a sub $2 million seed round should not take more than two months of calendar time. That means that's still hundreds of hours of founder time, by the way. So it's not cheap. But if you're working on, a, on this type of race for more than two months and you've talked to more than 30 investors and you followed our advice and you still can't close your round, there is likely something disconnected with the pitch or the business and I'll just be straight up, I think you are destroying value in your business by continuing to fundraise. You've gathered enough data that now it's time to go back, take the feedback that you've received from these investors, and try to recraft or continue to execute in the business 
against the feedback that you received. Maybe the founder, maybe the investors said, hey, we like that you've launched, but I need to see two to three months of usage data to understand if we can really evaluate this business effectively. So get, go get that data and, and find it. And again, investor feedback is not the gold standard of what makes great businesses. But going back to our very first slide, if you decided that you want to raise venture capital for your business, this investor feedback in aggregate is a good representation of what the market is looking for with regards to funding your business. Sometimes, by the way, it takes many more than 30 conversations to get investment. I've heard of people talking to more than 100 investors at times. And that's, that's okay, that happens. But again, what we're talking about is the amount of calendar time that you need to invest to do so. This is where you can, if you don't follow this advice, circling back to one of our earlier points, this is where you can really get into perma fundraising mode or where you're always kind of fundraising, kind of not. You're taking one-off meetings with investors when they reach out or when you meet them at an event or through a friend and you're never really pushing momentum forward. And I think this is one of the most dangerous things that happens to early companies in our experience. And so uh, just, just tying that all together again, start the date that you're ready to fundraise, begin those conversations and start the, and know the date that you want to be back out of the market. Just closing the final loop on this. I think a lot of times investors will, I'm sorry, founders will also ask, well, what about valuation? Right. And so when it comes to kind of closing out this final round, um, how do I think about what I should value my company at? And I think, you know, Jared talks about this a lot too, but at the early stage, uh, if you think about the priorities of closing a fundraising round, it's, it's ultimately, you know, you first want to, you want to successfully raise the money. You want to close quickly. You want to get the target investors that you want. And really last on the priority list is the valuation. And specifically, I think we're talking again at the early stage, um, where you shouldn't be worrying about what other people are raising because honestly at this stage valuations are really part art part science and your ultimate goal is just to price your company in a way that can clear the market successfully again you just want to get back to your operating activities you want to close quickly right and look uh, we'll be the first to admit we're investors so we're not totally objective when we say this valuation is the place where founders and, and investors can potentially conflict but especially at the early stage there's so much left to do together for you and your investor it's really important that you're aligned on many fronts, not just valuation. You're taking this money. I've seen founders optimize for valuation first, and it can cause them to either A, not raise the money that they were desiring because the market wasn't willing to clear, there wasn't enough capital supplied at that price, or B, they end up with investors that they're not as excited about. And those early investors really do have, um, you know, look, it's your business. Ultimately, the, the success is is driven by you, the founder. But you really can think of these people as your allies. And Especially when times get hard, you want those investors in your corner that you feel really good about. To Kevin's point, you can't divorce investors. And so, again, that's not to say that valuation is not important, that you shouldn't be thoughtful about it. Talk to a lot of people to understand how the market is moving. But it's also one of those things that you have perhaps the least amount of control over. Anything from interest rates to like global capital can impact how valuations are trending within startup ecosystems, which have which may have nothing nothing to do with the business that you're actually operated in. Uh, an example of this was you know, rumored Uber evaluations at the, at the seed and Series A round are well below uh, where typical seed deals are getting done now today. So again, it's something, it's something that's important, something to be thoughtful of, but I wouldn't put it as one of the top three priorities in thinking about how to raise the seed round. Awesome. So we, we hope that you uh, learned something about fundraising best practices today. As a reminder, uh, we will have most of the notes for this podcast 
um, in a link below. So feel free to check that out if you want a recap of everything we talked about today. If you have any further questions about your fundraising process, or if you have any questions about anything we've ever talked about, please feel free to reach out to either Jared or myself at jared or kevin at fundersclub.com. Great, guys. Thank you.